0: Episode of In Check with FinTech organised by PCN. My name is Rogier Hoop van der Voort, and on this show we interview CEOs, founders, and executives from the fintech space about markets, trends, um, developments, as well as their own company. Today we'll be talking with Frank Schell, who is the CEO and co-founder of Safello, uh, and we'll be discussing today with him the current state of the crypto market, uh, its opportunities, uh, impact on the financial la- landscape. Uh, what the future holds, uh, but we'll also talk about their recent partnership with Klarna. Um, and Frank has uh, got some exciting news to share on uh, Cefalo as well today. So a lot to go through. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you, uh,
1: here And thank you for pronoun- pronouncing my name right. It <laughs> doesn't happen, so it's a unique occurrence. <laughs> uh,
0: because you are Dutch by trade, aren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess just like you. So exactly. yeah, I'm originally yeah. Dutch and I moved to Sweden where I've been living for the last uh, uh, quite a few years now.
0: Great. And I think it's fair to say, I mean, you are what they call a serial entrepreneur.
1: Uh, for me, it has a little bit of a negative connotation. It's like you're failing like in a serial way, but <laughs> yeah, I guess this is my third startup. That's correct.
0: Exactly, yeah. What do you enjoy so much about entrepreneurship?
1: Uh that is a good question it's, a, it's most of most of the ride of running a company is like torture uh but i guess <laughs> it's, it's it's the building um it's it's sort of the dream of of realizing something that you have in mind and then you know seeing it become a real reality um so it's always that longer term vision as well as just the stubbornness to you know make it work so yeah it's it's uh, i have i've been doing it since my uh, school and i've never stopped
0: Oh, exactly. not very exciting. I mean, obviously Cepelo is in the crypto space, but I think the other two companies you found were not necessarily in the crypto or financial services space, were they? No, the
1: first one was a location-based social network. So I was living in Amsterdam and well the, the, the funny side story there is that I I was working on my rep career, which I know is an <laughs> odd thing. Uh but there was this forum where people were meeting up in real life, and then I was there in a bar, and I couldn't recognize anyone. I was like, oh, "There should be like an app where you can, you know, uh, connect to people in real life," which later sort of became Foursquare, but nobody really had, you know, realized an on-the-go social network. But that was sort of the the vision for that platform to, you know, in real life, IRL connect uh, to create like a location-based uh, uh, social network, and, and and we did a whole bunch of interesting things there. Uh, way too early uh too ambitious and i didn't know what i was doing at that time you know but uh you, you live and learn
0: i guess yeah i'm sure you learned a lot and then the other company you found what was that about
1: also a learning experience uh that one was that was more hardcore technology so i was obviously in the location space and then i moved into a different location space was indoor positioning so where you have uh gps outside buildings where gps doesn't function we were creating an yeah what they call a radio uh uh, map fingerprinting map where you look at the existing signals like wi-fi 2g 3g and you create like this artificial coordinate that the phone uh uh, correlates against in order to do indoor positioning so where gps doesn't function so it's kind of complex work with that brought me to Sweden. That company was based out of Sweden. My co-founder was half, half Swedish half Stodian. Um, and it was based out of Mobile Heights Business Center where you, you were able to tap into existing patents from Tele Sonera. kind of kind of interesting construct that I haven't really seen anywhere else where they allowed like new startups to look at sort of the database of patents of uh, 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 companies that you know that have been around for ages and might not be using these patents, and then see if there's a new, you know, repurpose those patents for a different use case. Uh, so that was sort of the kickstart for for that technology, which uh, you know was very. We, we did quite a few cool things there, and uh, um, and it went really well uh, up until like the technology hurdles to get it to different operating systems, uh, particularly Apple. Uh, location API was getting closed down, so we did a full implementation at the Rabobank, the uh, the Dutch bank in in Utrecht, uh, or at least the pilot, and then we tried to bring it cross-device with uh, the bring your own device culture. But it, it never really quite um, worked because of those uh, hindrances. So it was a real problem to to scale it out. And still today, interpositioning, you know, when you drive in a tunnel, it still gets pretty uh, murky or inside buildings. it It's still not fully resolved. I, it moved towards Bluetooth where we were using the other uh, signal technology. But uh, yeah, here we are. Uh, so that didn't make it <laughs> to, to cut a long story short. We did a, lot, a bunch of interesting things there, but yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. But you sure fell in love with technology now having found uh, Cefelo uh, in, I think it's 2013, right? In Stockholm you found it.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So yeah. that was uh, uh, right after the the last company. I mean, between my companies, I don't, every time I think it was just a couple of months. So it started itching right away. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess I can't be helped, but um, that was the... the um, uh, so it was a, the April 2000, well, the story starts 2012, the end of 2012, with the same location in Malmö, uh, at the same night where I met my wife, uh, by the same guy who introduced me to my wife, he also talked about Bitcoin. So overall, <laughs> a pretty good night in, uh, in November 2012. Um, And then, I mean, I wanted to, I looked at it from an investment point of view, view, uh, uh, because you have liquidity and volatility. So it's kind of interesting. And there's this new asset class. That's how I initially looked at it, Uh, but I waited. So the price was around $15 and I waited too long uh, with quotation marks until the price went to $266 in April, 2013. Uh, And that's where, you know, that's where I woke up as okay, I missed something here. So initially, you know, the investment case is what brought me back. And then as you go into, you know, the crypto space and you start really uh, sort of uncovering the, 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 the enormous potential uh, of blockchain, the underlying blockchain technology um, as a whole, you know, I, I probably didn't sleep for like a month, just digging into everything. And that's sort of the start for my journey into crypto. And shortly after that, we found it's a fellow. Um, and, and, and the origin, you know, if you want to know the original story there, it was more like we were looking for uh, we're looking at the, the market uh, players at that time uh, and, and realized that there were a lot of bad, bad actors and it was mature and there was nobody, you know, not nobody, but there were a few players that really wanted to do it by the book and be a regulated entity and work with the existing financial system to, you know, to work at that integration, the crossing point, you know, crossing that bridge between crypto and fiat. Um, and and we went to the London conference in 2013. It was at level 39 at Canary Wharf, uh, where you know the entire crypto scene was just together in one room. And and we came there just to validate the uh, the, uh, the uh, idea that we have of, of you know rolling this out in this way. And you had like Eric Voorhees, uh, I think Roger Ver, Eric Turdemaster, uh, uh, Peter Smith, Nicholas Carey. I think they were all there. Um, which was kind of funny that the entire scene uh, fit uh, into one room, and there we concluded: yes, there is a need, and and that is the starting uh, point for Cephalo.
0: Great! It's always good to be reminded of the values that Bitcoin had back in 2013. <laughs> you can see what I missed out on personally, no. but that's a different topic. Exactly uh, no, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Cephalo now what do you guys do exactly? I think it's fair. I think you you guys are an exchange, right? A Bitcoin exchange or a crypto exchange.
1: Yeah, I guess a broker is, is the more accurate way of uh, framing it. So we customers buy from us, and we you know, you know source liquidity on the market where we work with some of the largest liquidity providers in the world. Um, so yeah, it's it's essentially. I mean, we we've walked down a bunch of different paths in in the lifetime of our company uh, for, for you know good bad uh, for better or good, but. Uh, we, we ended up circling back to the core of what we've always been doing, uh, which is doing in a compliant way, in a safe way, uh, to, to offer an easy entry point to the crypto economy and accelerate the adoption of cryptocurrencies in that way. So it's a buying, selling crypto. And I think for us, the turning point was really 2000, only 2018, I have to admit. But we were able to take this onboarding process down uh, from, you know, hours to a couple of days uh, of getting your first crypto to 60 seconds, um, but with the use of bank ID and Swish, uh, the, the most popular identification method and payment method here in Sweden, uh, really hard to obtain. Uh, but when we did, that really changed the game and, and enabled us to bring it down to 60 seconds. And with that, uh, we saw the growth and we were able that to put that then into the B2B product as well for partners that integrated into their apps and websites. Uh, so that's still the core. And of course we build around that with uh, you know, different ways of serving that product to our end users.
0: Exactly, yeah. That's very exciting. If you look back then, it, uh, since 2013, let's say over the last kind of eight years, I think I saw you talk on the uh, TEDx Stockholm. Was it in 2013 as well that you did a talk there?
1: I thought it was in 2015, but... I might oh, 2015. Be, I might, even. Yeah, yeah, I might be mistaken. So we went in the Barclays Accelerator, uh, I think before. So that was in 2015. Uh, and then I did the TED talk, yeah.
0: I think there you talked about how Bitcoin can help as well connecting maybe the underbanks as well as sending people uh, money home uh, and obviously about the decentralized opportunity that uh, Bitcoin yeah, I mean, has.
1: Well, well, the case there for my TED talk was more an idea at that time uh, that I had this, you have this concept of a brain wallet where you essentially since Bitcoin is a private and uh, public uh, a key pair essentially you can bring it down to just mnemonic, uh, like you know word sheet right which you can just store essentially in your brain so effectively if you if you wanted to you could just store a billion dollar in your brain uh, uh by just remembering it and my you know the, the little uh thought bubble that i uh, lit up in, in 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 that TED talk was that okay well if you can do that that is a very good way to escape uh, like war zones uh For, you know, there, I I think at that time there were 100 million people displaced around the world. Um, So if you obviously have your valuables at home, uh, you know, traditional valuables, gold, jewelry, and so on, uh, and you move across the borders, okay, you might use it as a payment, but obviously you can get robbed and you can lose your entire uh, life savings. So the, the interesting thing here was like, okay, well, if you could just, have everything in crypto or convert what you don't need for the trip to pay through borders if you need uh, i guess to bribe people to get through, uh, through a crossing um but then then you can you know you can move across the border and and, and essentially restart your life with your savings uh, in, you know that you still have in, in your control so that was just the idea and and the interesting thing was once the video went live there was somebody uh, on reddit anonymously obviously uh uh replying that 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 person actually did that they was in the ukraine uh, conflict where he was uh, crossing uh, a certain checkpoint and he didn't store it in his brain per se he stored it in the cloud but it just showed showed the power of cryptocurrency where you know he just uploaded his to clouds He crossed the border and then he was able to recover response and of course when you're dealing with a central banking system and a banking system which happened in cyprus crisis and other crises like it you you know your funds get locked and you won't get access to it so especially in conflict zones you know this is an actual uh, way for people to to protect their uh, uh, you know future uh, purchasing power and their wealth
0: Berlin we're here and ready for your hiring needs after some short time considering it we decided to set up business in Germany meaning we can be closer to clients and allow room for new business. We're set up and ready to help find your ideal candidates, help build teams, and offer up media services. People create networks. Interesting. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of opportunities, which let's talk about them a bit more. Uh, but Maybe first about how you've seen uh, crypto or Bitcoin develop over those last eight years. I mean, in terms of, I think interest has definitely increased. I think there's more... I would not necessarily say much more but I'd say that there's more regulators looking at it and building more regulation around it would you agree?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, when we started in 2013 most of what we were, you know, in that room in London we were discussing was more of a pipe dream. Uh, a very, you know, exciting pipe dream. Um and, and for me, you know, I did grow up with the internet on in the early age. I had my computer in my home with the modem with the funny sounds and you, 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 I guess that, and with my previous companies, obviously, you get a sense of technology and when something, you know, potentially can have an impact and might actually succeed. And for me, you know, that one month that I spent uh, just being obsessed about crypto, it was clear for me that it is going to do that. Uh, In well, you know, whether this is the final form or shape, there will be like these battles, but it is going to happen um and I, I remember this uh i guess this did this presentation in london where i i uh, had a couple of slides on how it would impact the monetary policy and the geopolitical landscape with you know what would happen if the russians uh, uh russian economy would move away from rubble to crypto and then would they basically be able to circumvent the u.s you know uh, dollar and what would that mean for the power balance and then interestingly enough now you know just well, it's not from that moment on. It's not even ten years later. It's just uh, eight years later. Uh, we're, we're seeing cryptocurrency in a quite real way uh, playing a role in geopolitics and in monetary policy. And and governments and central banks and regulators all need to come to grips on how they're going to regulate it, how they're going to deal with it. Uh, and with that, you know, that mature the immaturity of 2013, if you will, with of course, empty Cox, the, the exchange that had 80 percent of the volume that went bust at that time. Um, has completely changed to a very mature market and also the regulatory hurdles as well as all of the things that you know could permanently put a halt to cryptocurrency adoption uh, they've they've gone uh, away. they were no longer uh, seeing that level of threat. I mean it, it, there's regulatory frameworks that have been developed in Europe in Europe it's getting more clear as well with the Mika regulation coming into place that will make another, uh, leap in, in clarifying the crypto regulatory landscape. So that notion of that it's just going to be banned. there have been governments around the world that have been trying it, but it's it's a past station. so we have um, yeah reached its level of maturity and we are obviously talking in the United States about hedge funds uh, kickstarted by like the likes of microstrategy investing. Uh, billions of dollars in, into into crypto, really still cementing its sort of role as a new type of asset class to protect against the uh, the, the 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 quantitative easing and so on. Uh, that's uh, that you know that's uh, where we are today. Which is and it, get, it went through different stages, and I can comment on the stages if you like it. Uh, but then it becomes maybe too much of a model so <laughs> Axel. Back to you. <laughs>
0: no let's talk about that the stages that you've seen then i mean well let's maybe rephrase that question as well and take into consideration why is it that there's such a big interest or i think back in 2013 i'm sure one of the issues or challenges, if you will, of crypto or Bitcoin was the trust. There was not a lot of trust. People thought right. it was used for AM, uh, there was uh, AML going on or what was ML going on, not much AML going on. Um, <laughs> it was used by criminals. It was used by uh, gamblers. It, it was just yeah. not. It, it didn't have great names. So yeah, what has changed?
1: Well, let me highlight that first, uh, touching upon that, you know, if you look at the latest report from Chainalysis, the largest uh, forensic uh, cryptocurrency uh, uh, company in the world. They did a report in 2020, where only 0.34%, I think, of all cryptocurrency transactions were affiliated with uh, dark market activity, and you now have even the FBI, one former FBI director stating that yes, the actual cryptocurrency uh, monetary system, if you will, is uh, much less uh, capable to do money laundering on it than, or any kind of illicit activity than in, in the regular banking sector. So. You know that 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 point has passed, but the narrative of that, of course, in 2013, that sort of sent shockwaves, and it didn't help. So if we look at 2013; that was sort of the first moment of uh, uh, global media attention on on just like, hey, crypto exists. That then quickly, after the burst of MTGOX went into okay, Bitcoin is bad, you know, criminal, you know, just what you're saying. That was the narrative. It, 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 it's it's uh, something not to be associated with. So blockchain, however, is great, right? So the underlying blockchain technology is what we're all going to be happy about. And the interesting thing in that time, and it was about the time that we went in the, into the Barplace Accelerator. So 2014, 15 is that a lot of crypto companies actually rebranded themselves as blockchain companies as well. Which, you know, we stubbornly have always <laughs> called ourselves a crypto company and continue to do so. But it was kind of interesting to see these, you know, these, these, these narratives change. And we're talking about distrib- distributed ledger technology and you know, how can we create efficiencies in existing banking system? And you know, it for me that always resonated as something like, hey, how can we make a great intranet versus the internet? And it's like, well, but I sort of care about the internet, and I rather build the internet than build a great intranet. Um, I, You know, the analogy isn't perfect, but I do think that that was sort of the, the sentiment and with that you saw investment rounds going to uh, uh, large, you know, global uh, banking sort of initiatives like digital asset holding and R3. Of course, a lot of them, them have migrated to public blockchains and have found ways to really build uh, meaningful infrastructure. Uh, but but then it was just, okay, this is going to be the future. Forget about crypto. And then in 2000, and I think it was about end of 2016 when it started to shift uh, again. And obviously then that led to the 2017 uh, uh, peak where cryptocurrency, where Bitcoin hit uh, more than $20,000. And that's where the ICO uh, craze came, the initial coin offering uh, uh, craze. And in that period, uh, uh, obviously, it again, hurt sort of the reputation of crypto because it was so much speculation. And then you had things like one coin where billions of, of dollars mm-hmm. were lost by people that got scammed. Uh, so you know, it, it doesn't doesn't help. Uh, uh, but it, it, it was a whole new innovation. It sort of kickstarted the DeFi movement, uh, which still is, is strong today. I think the last time I checked uh, for, for for our perspectives, I think it was already 50 billion 52 billion uh, dollar the the, the decentralized finance market and in 2013 that was you know sort of nothing that didn't exist um so that was 2017 and now we're seeing so you know typically goes in these four-year cycles uh, as if you follow the, the the actual price of crypto now this cycle uh, we're reaching this whole other level of adoption, not only on the investment case, which has obviously been the biggest case to date, the speculative or at least, well, first speculative, now, um, now as an asset class, it really is a store of value and, and a hedge against the, the, the monetary system, which is what the hedge funds are coming into. But now also, and that is the start, I think of the next wave, uh, uh, using really cryptocurrency as a payment method and really seeping into financial transactions, kickstarted by PayPal uh, with their merchant adoption. So yeah, we're, we're now reaching levels where there's no coming back from this, uh, both from as an asset class, but I think it's just now at the start of using it for regular financial transactions as well, which ultimately that means that, you know, whatever fintech company you are or whatever bank, uh, bank you know, and if you're a bank or whatever financial institution, uh, one way or another, just like the internet, you know, there's no industry or any company that you can be that escapes it. So it means that you will not escape a crypto future and it will touch your business. So it's better to have a strategy uh, now than, you know, uh, be behind,
0: yeah, exactly. So you're saying that we're entering basically into another four year cycle now.
1: Well, well, if we're just looking from a pricing uh, point of view, then you know, you saw the 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 peaks uh, 2013 uh, middle, and then it was the real peak in 2013 in December, twelve hundred forty eight dollars, if I recall correctly. Then it went down or, you know, I think around $100, $200 and then it started building up slowly, slowly. And it was a long period of no no activity. You had the halving of the crypto of the, the, the Bitcoin uh, supply, right? So every four years there's the halving of the Bitcoin uh, supply, which means that essentially if the demand stays the same, but the supply gets half to the market, you, you get this sort of natural pressure on the market then obviously yeah, can explode uh, upwards, which up until now, has pretty accurately uh, yeah. followed that pattern, and, and then that was then precisely four years later 2017, and now we're you know precisely four years later again in 2021, seeing again the same pattern, uh, and then it interestingly coincide with a lot of other positive developments. Um, yeah, how you want to read into it? Uh, of course, some people have some very scientific arguments, some market the <laughs> psychology arguments for it, but. The, the, you know, there is certainly some technical uh, argument for it in relation to the supply halving, uh, which is, that is obviously set in stone in, in particularly the Bitcoin protocol. Uh, but then other protocols don't move in the same way. And Bitcoin has led that market movement that might not work yeah. in the future and so on. Yeah.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever-changing, and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode of In Check with Fintech, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com. Sense. What do you think right now are the biggest opportunities? Then? You talk about DeFi, uh, you talk about the ICOs. Um... Yeah, what, do you, so, what do you think yeah
1: i mean there's so many interesting things the interesting like for us as a fellow we are like we see our role as being that intermediary right for helping people that are new to the crypto economy to take their first step so we we see also that responsibility in being the filter not not offering like the latest crazy, you know craziest protocol um so so in a way in the business we we just want to make sure that people get uh, the most mature uh, offerings and, 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 and features. However, if I look just as a as a private person, then there's a lot of interesting thing happen, happening in the market, particularly again, in, in the DeFi uh, world where you have some, uh, you know, the, even if you look at uh, the exchange market itself, with like Uniswap where you can do instant uh, swapping uh, between different cryptocurrencies and provide liquidity, but it goes into lending, goes in into staking, staking on ethereum obviously where you can earn an interest rate by uh instead of mining with the energy you know <laughs> there's been people that object to the energy consumption of, yes. of, of, of the mining process with staking obviously you can then stake it into a protocol and get an interest that way and don't doesn't have the same kind of consumption uh I, I mean, anything that you can imagine imagine is being developed. Of course, the NFT movement, the non fungible tokens is very interesting uh, with crazy valuations with certain, some of these uh, 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 artworks that was, what was it sold for 60 something? 60, 69
0: million, 69 yeah.
1: nine million dollar, like that was already there in 2017, right? And you see with each cycle, it reaches another level of maturity. I remember in 2017, I was buying these cartoon versions of of celebrities like you could buy like Bill Gates uh, as an NFT and then the interesting model there was that uh, people could steal these cards away from you by buying them from you so they were blocked I, I was the owner on the blockchain but then if they were to buy double or a certain percentage up they could then take it from me and then Everybody could add a quote to the NFT that they bought. So I could, you know, I could make Bill Gates say essentially that he loves Bitcoin, you know, something like that. And and that was a really you know, so that was 2017. And I think, you know, NFTs, uh, I go back all the way to the early days where I think they were simply called colored coins. I might be mistaken, uh, the, the technical, technical routes on the on, on the, the podcast, but I think there you could also sign properties and, and make unique assets on the blockchain. So it's it's just with everything that's being developed, it reaches a certain maturity, and then it gets goes through another wave of of innovation, and that's what we're now seeing with NFTs. I think personally, it's going to be interesting when that is going to be rooted in the uh, you know regulatory legal framework. Um, of course, there are going to be digital assets where we, we see the likes of the the artworks that have just been sold for sixty nine million dollar. Uh, I think it was through S- Sotheby's, right? And, and then there's going to be, uh, you know, physical uh, goods and all kinds of physical objects and uh, um, assets that are also going to be be uh, rooted in, you know, that token being the, the transfer mechanism, right? Because let's say you have an artwork, who then guarantees me that when I change that, that owner of the, 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 the token changes, that it has the same connection to the the legal status of the ownership. Um, And I think those frameworks are gonna be developed for all kinds of assets. Um, And then there's these interesting new models that are also uh, happening there where you can uh, put out a a piece of music and you can code in royalties into every transaction that takes place. So you can, if you're a a singer songwriter, you can make uh, a song uh, and people can license that song or you could yeah, license it to one party, but then if they resell it, you could still ha- code into that contract on the, 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 the ownership that whoever, whenever there's a resell that it automatically the resell value has a percentage uh, royalties to the uh, artists as well. So it's just these new models are being created. How is it gonna be connected to the, uh, the, the different legal uh, system? I've been looking for the longest time how that's going to be done with organizations and companies. You have this company called Aragon that has had the decentralized autonomous organizations. I haven't really seen that at scale in a good way. And I'm, I'm looking for that technology to mature as well, which I'm personally very excited about what, you know, if you could just start a company entirely virtual, its ownership is distributed and, uh, and the voting, you know, from an AGM perspective could be done in a decentralized ways. That would be awesome. And, Coming back to our IPO, we, we always said, okay, what if we were a decentralized company, you would want it, right? Uh, what is the most decentralized way you can do it in the regular economy? You you do an initial public offering, then you then you have a distribution of ownership. But of course, if you could do it on a blockchain, it could be way more distributed and you could actually give way more control uh, to, to the owners.
0: Yeah, I'll talk about that uh, IPO as well. Uh- in a little bit keen to find out a bit more but i mean there's there's indeed there's unlimited opportunities with blockchain uh with with, with crypto and kind of the, the broader blockchain how you talked about a little bit before but let's let's double click on that how's the financial landscape responding to crypto
1: uh well if, if you look let's say the european landscape um in the european landscape you already have so many regulatory challenges for let's say a bank where the biggest one, well, maybe not even the biggest one, but from my startup point of view, uh, one of the biggest ones was like open banking, right? So that was the threat for the banking sectors. Like, how are they going to adapt to the requirement to open up uh, this information and this transaction capability to to third parties? Um, and, and that was like this sort I of mean, as an threat assessment. Okay, fintech is fintech is going to destroy us. Um, at that time, you know, it was obviously already a couple of years ago. At that time, it's like, well, that that is how is that going to hurt you? Not really, because in the end, the, the actual value still is residing with you as a bank in this case. Yeah. Um, whereas crypto obviously a much more uh, fundamental uh, part of the bank, where the tr- the actual transactions and the actual value is gonna, is migrating somewhere else. So how, how do you deal with that? Like how, how where, where do you preserve the value? And that is really a much more difficult um, uh, adaptation for financial institution to make. It's like, okay, of course you can, keep, yeah, it's the same as with the internet. You, at some point your customers would wanna meet you or you online and you need to have an internet bank. If you don't have an internet bank, for the most part, you're out of business. There are some that you know retain a certain clientele in their, their local branch offices, but you see for most banks that became entirely unprofitable and, and, and money losing. So, so that kind of transition is what the, the banks face. And then that even goes all the way to central banks when it comes to monetary, uh, the, the monetary system and their central uh, bank currency where they go through that assessment as well, where Sweden particularly has taken a very interesting approach with the e-crona, which has, of course, Sweden as a country has been on the forefront of the Cash society. I think it had the highest uh, rate of, uh, of uh, people only using online payments uh, for yeah. some time. So they 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 saw the trend for for last year. They just seen this trend where yeah, nobody's using cash. If you stand in an ATM in, in Sweden, well, what are you what are you getting cash for? You're you're probably doing some illicit activity because unless you're you know, yeah, with all due respect, your elderly person who doesn't have a uh, application on a mobile phone, what are you, what do you need cash for? You have you have no need for it. There's there's no no one using it. Uh, so they already were looking at how can we create a system, and they uh, for for that. And they, if you look at the first report of the eCrona, you see two different approaches: a register-based and a or uh, is the other one a uh, account? Yeah, register-based or a um, uh, what well, I can't come up with it. But one value is per directly linked to it uh, to the central bank and the repository. And I think the other one was more. As a, uh, a balance that could move around, it wasn't necessarily directly registered with the central bank. But in that first assessment, I think they initially dismissed blockchain, or at least they thought it, you know, wasn't mature enough. But now, as the central bank currencies are maturing, uh, uh, especially with what is happening in China, that obviously takes a very different approach to crypto. The only country, if you will, that has gone to the sort of banning cryptocurrencies and just focusing entirely on the central bank currency it starts creating a template for how other you know central banks are looking at it so yeah. the financial system as a whole is a really big uh animal to assess and how it's reacting to crypto just like crypto is this very big concept it's not only an it's not only currencies not only uh, uh a uh, potential derivative so it's all these different things and it touches all aspects and facets uh, of of money and the financial system. It is truly like a new financial system uh, and every uh, central bank and financial institution are, are, are ha- having their own strategies. so it's and then to the media landscape you know from a media perspective of course the banks have been very negative and if you look at that from risk management perspective, there's no other way; tend to be defensive because it really is hard when you assess crypto and its you know transparent capabilities, particularly Bitcoin, of course, um, against the money laundering regulation. It's like, well, why would I take that risk? It's like you know, it doesn't it doesn't conform to the the regulation that we're working with. So they have all kinds of you know hardships in in adopting it, and some will take the risk, and some will push. Through lobbying efforts to change the regulations and so on.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Do you? Are you involved much with financial institutions and regulators from a fellow's point of view? Do you try to be involved in? I don't I know. Think, uh, yeah.
1: I think as a small startup, we're you know probably some of the biggest effort we do in that, and it's it, it is entirely invisible to to our users and to to most people, but we we've do, we've done a lot of work uh with the authorities uh also with the regulators even the ministry of finance in in uh, um, in Sweden we're chairing the uh, the working uh the blockchain working group here at the Swedish Fintech Association we were part of financing the uh VAT case that went to the European Court of Justice that had the European wide ruling that VAT was not going to be applicable um so yeah we we we've been actually doing a, a lot there uh we work together with the police to take down the largest Swedish dark market. So I, we, we do really care also about the, you know the future of crypto, just like the future of the internet. It's like there are certain values that you would like to, um, uh, that 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 you that you should stand for, that you want the the internet to represent, right? There's the internet started out as a crypto punk uh, uh, dream and then obviously it also met the regulators and it met the legal landscape and it met uh you know also countries where they don't have a democracy that then try to curtail the, the the freedom of information so those values and what that is rep- that represents um uh you need to look at that as from my perspective as early as possible and stand for the values that you care about so on the one end uh we 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 uh we stand for those freedoms at the same time we want to have that within a regulatory framework so we we do see that that you know you don't want to support the nefarious uh, illicit activities that could take place if you if you don't have the right framework but at the same time you don't want that framework to be overbearing and restricting the freedom of you know uh transfer value so it's it's for us really uh part of the core of what Cephello stands for to to uh uh, to be part of those discussions uh, even though as a, it's a small company of course it's always uh hard to, you know to put resources uh, to that but we do
0: yeah exactly well as much as you can be involved indeed it's a fine line between having too much regulation and not having enough regulation also when it comes to trust from the market that we just discussed i can imagine so that's uh, that's exciting let's talk a bit more about sofello i mean you guys have done i think it was february already but uh, you've done a recent partnership with Klarna. can you talk a bit more about that because that's exciting I think yeah
1: I mean it's as they say a watershed moment for the crypto market if you will um you know we, we we've obviously when we started in 2013 it, it was extremely hard to get any partnership going with anyone uh with a whether it's a you know small financial institution a payment service provider or like a bank whatever it is um so and the interesting thing is Uh, it has taken us this long really to 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 forge some of these relationships with with the the parties in this case Klarna, um where you know when they they are a bank right that they have a banking banking license uh so but but it's about the stepping stones to to get there so it's been building that trust it's been also having other relationships so we signed with uh, tink before the open banking platform um uh, obviously we had swish which is the, the biggest uh, payment methods. We have this bank ID. Uh, we have, of course, uh, uh, the registrations in place. When it comes to uh, uh, the, the the setup with the inspection, which is the Swedish uh, uh, regulator, uh, which is the AFM in the Netherlands. I guess you're, <laughs> if you're Dutch, um, uh, uh, or the FCA in the UK, if you're British. Uh, so, so that that all of those things uh, they they start forming these stepping stones where you can start building relationship with companies that. Uh, it's really hard to to achieve those if you if you don't have that history and it come it's back to the data as well which which is should it, once you have now we've 191,000 users and you have over 400,000 transactions you have so much data where you can you know prove what you do with this data and how you you know, apply. Uh, uh, analytics on that in order to prevent, you know, to to identify behavior and patterns that can uh, prevent the the activity that these type of companies like Klarna uh, are obviously not keen to see in in their books. So yeah, Klarna partnership itself, um, they have an open banking platform and uh, the integration allows our users to buy cryptocurrency uh, through their open banking platform. Um, and and it just makes the the you know it's a trusted bank and it makes the buying experience um simpler and it, it, it paves the way for us for internationalization of course they they are connected to uh, to a wide european network in the open bank uh, in their open banking platform uh so it's another puzzle piece to you know, serve our end customer better and um, it's a it's a cool brand and we, we love what Klarna is doing they are you know preparing for their own IPO slightly bigger <laughs>
0: a little bit <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, but they're, they're one of the fintech uh, unicorns. You also have IZL that, that is obviously a big Swedish brand that got sold to yeah. PayPal. Uh, and they're, you know, in that same kind of category in, in, if you're living in Sweden.
0: Well, uh, if they, those are examples of what uh, Cefelo could be, then um, I might be interested <laughs> in uh, the IPO that you uh, got cooking. Let's talk about, a bit, about that a bit more, indeed, the, the, the IPO. Um, yeah. yeah, what's the plan?
1: I mean, so the, the so for us, as I mentioned, like uh, when we talked about decentralized governance, there was always this natural uh, sentiment of of uh, distributing our ownership, right? So we did already do through crowdfunding uh, uh, a successful crowdfunding campaign, so we already had a larger ownership pool. Uh, and this this yeah, you know, it's a natural step in, in crypto also, you know, very practically speaking, you're very used to having a price ticker when you're dealing with cryptocurrency sort of ingrained in, in everything in crypto, that you have this price and the market cap and so on. Uh, and then for us of course strategically speaking we we, we really felt that going through that process uh, and, and you know doing it the right way so we, we didn't you know we didn't do a reverse merger we didn't we didn't do any of the constructs that you can do in a spec or anything we did a you know a regular IPO um, um, with with not just uh, one of the smaller uh, listings but we did it with Nasdaq right okay. okay small small version of Nasdaq because of our size but it's still we we chose to go with Nasdaq uh, first North Coke market. So that process is another stamp of validation, of course. To you know where you need to go through Nasdaq's approval process and the, the regulator again the the uh, uh, SFSA in Sweden, uh, the Swedish uh, Financial Conduct Authority, a uh, supervisory supervisory authority. See, that's why I don't say the whole thing. I can never. <laughs> <say it. laughs> SFSA, fine. Um, nice. <laughs> Um, uh, that that just is a validation where you know we see as another stepping stone to 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 uh, uh, you know to, to to the values that we represent in terms of being the safe fellow into the crypto market and to accelerate the adoption crypto and of course accelerate the speed of the company. Then the the, 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 the race itself, obviously, we we then deploy to to grow uh, the business um, in, in in both what we can offer to the Swedish market. And of course, looking at uh, other markets as well. So it's uh, it's, it's it's just a, the way we uh, uh, see that we can accelerate our growth story, uh, and then we can look at MA as well. We just acquired a company, so there's different ways that we, we can can move um, uh, in, with different growth opportunities that we can take with that as well. So but yeah, those are sort of the four dimensions that we uh, we thought is the right path for us.
0: Yeah, exactly. Not as When are you gonna? When is the IPO gonna happen exactly?
1: Subscription period, nineteenth of April till the thirtieth of April, which is just passed, and uh, the the listing day itself is the twelfth of May. So that's going to be very soon.
0: All right. Okay. Well, I hope by the time that people listen to this podcast, they might have seen your press release and have actually signed up as well for the uh, for the IPO. Um, yeah. Great. Really exciting, Frank. Thanks very much for uh, sharing your views um, as well as talk a bit more about Cephello. If people want to find out more, where can they go? Or if they want to find out more about you, where should they go?
1: Uh, Cephello.com, very easy. Um, if, if it's from an investment point of view, then it's Cephello.com slash investors and you can find everything about uh, our IPO, prospectus, uh, teaser, uh, uh, governance and so on. Uh, I think that's the most important. We also have, if, if you want to try out the product, uh, it's uh, it's uh, on the on the App Store and the iOS uh, and Android. Uh, of course, we're still restricted to Sweden. So if you're outside of Sweden, might not be interesting. But um, yeah, those, those are the channels.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Not yet outside of Sweden. Is that on the roadmap though to happen? It's in the perspective as part of our strategy. So okay. Uh, <laughs> <Watch> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we will. We'll, we have plans. Frank, thank you very much and thanks for joining on the podcast today. Thank you, here; It's a pleasure. Great to have you. And thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of In Check with Fintech. Make sure to tune in again next week for a new show. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. And we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from a partner, Free A Girl, who are dedicated to founding child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Evelyn, CEO and founder of Free A Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom, and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.